0: Well then, hello Deb. Welcome yeah. Thank to you. our space. <laughs> We're back in our space. In our little sound box. Our home Just of sorts. Our home of sorts. In my head, we have like these big, like very like majestic chairs that we sit in, um, and we smoke very like non-tobacco not harmful pipes in a very like regal but like inviting manner you know what i mean
1: huh and and and, i would i would assume they smell like lavender or (gasps) to help calm us
0: you know that's my favorite scent
1: (laughs) i know that's how i said it Welcome back to the Persisting in Color podcast.
0: Uh, the podcast where we uh, are figuring shit out.
1: We are with uh, Miara and Deb. Um, you know, for those of you listening in for the first time, we welcome you to this community where we are all just trying to figure things out. But this is a special week, I will say, Miara, don't you think?
0: That's Yes, that's very, very true. That's very, very true um maybe we even just just to honor this kind of week and I think everyone needs the all the positivity we only do a why we persist this week
1: yes I I agree
0: okay I feel like we probably have the same why we persist yes, yes. oh my gosh I was almost like should we say it at the same time and I was like that's gonna go so poorly <laughs>
1: that, yeah.
0: mm. Mm it's we uh we're gonna have a new a new president in 2021 yeah and well, hopefully one that makes me feel uh, a lot safer than I currently do
1: I have a very good feeling about that um and I think it's a huge moment for our podcast because we are going to have the first black woman as
0: yes a-
1: South Asian woman, um, as, uh, as vice president, um, and the first child of immigrants sitting in a vice presidential, uh, you know, position. It's going to be
0: dope. Um, but yeah, so it's a huge moment for our country. Uh, I, I'm going to say it's always darkest before the dawn, maybe a little bit is what, what we're seeing
1: play out right now. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we've persisted for the last four years, the fact that we've persisted for the last four years, I think we can all just take a moment just to acknowledge that we have gone through what we've gone through. And we now have hope and and something to look forward to uh, on January twentieth.
0: Yeah. But I just want to establish, I guess, I think that a lot of Trump supporters—I don't know why—I felt like I couldn't say that, like I, I had to find a accurate, like a something to say else, another something to say. But I feel like a lot of Trump supporters will be like, I don't know, like his policies aren't that, like aren't that bad, or they're so great. Like, why? Like, I don't—he hasn't done anything to you. Like, what is your problem with Trump? And while I could go on for days about the policies and. Those issues, like, at the end of the day, in my day-to-day life, and hopefully this, someone hears this and something clicks, in my day-to-day life, the reason that Trump as president has scared me so much isn't necessarily because of the, po- the political things that are happening, because I know that those will take time to get down to me, but it's the hate that he spews and then encourages mm. and causes me to feel Scared of his supporters. Not, all, I'm not, I'm not all of them. Like before, I get attacked. Like I know that it's not good to generalize and blah 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 blah. But like we've seen, they can, they get, they can, some of them can get rowdy, for lack of a, a better term. And that rowdiness, as a queer woman of color, has me looking over my shoulder. Mm on a regular basis, um, still a little scared because now Trump's word is probably angry and he's not helping the situation, but we're, we're getting better. Any anywho, that was a dark path to take us down. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I was
1: just going to say that we have so many emotions that are going on and I think that President-elect Biden said during his um, speech when it was projected that he will be the next president of the United States, he made it very clear that he was going to be a president for everyone. And so I think that that's really, really important because moving forward, I think just has our, you know, like in the workplace, I think that no matter, you know, what your partisanship is in the workplace we all need to be running a ship and i think mm. it goes to you know the same goes to our government our senate our house of representatives our um, supreme court i think no matter what party we represent i think the key theme here is we need to finally come together um and i think you know there's there's hope for that
0: yes and i and yeah that's the at the end of the day that's the only option that's really sustainable i think that a lot of people forget they're like oh i have to vote like if republicans don't win or if democrats don't win then no one's looking out for me and at the end of the day really what the two parties should be is not that they're representing different people but that they have different ideas of what's good for all people that's what it's supposed to be I'm not saying that's what it is right now but that's a conversation for another day but yeah so hopefully we can all come together because uh survival is not possible without collaboration
1: absolutely
0: um before we dive in i do have one small uh why we persist that i want to shout out i want to say that i persist because of the gracious and positive vibes of the lovely Bianca Muniz, who is now running our social media because I couldn't anymore. It was too much. And she is spectacular. She's going to take our social media and make it flourish. and is just like, in her own right, an absolutely stunning human being, a singer-songwriter, a two-time, a two-time cancer survivor, a like fitness goddess, she's just got it all. So I just wanted to shout that out, Bianca Muniz.
1: Amazing.
0: <laughs> okay, now I'm done plugging. <laughs> uh,
1: so uh, to get into our topic for today, Um, Yara and I wanted to speak to, obviously, us navigating our careers, but learning how to root our sense of self and our identities to help us actually flourish in our careers. Usually when, you know, we talk about being at work and being in the workplace, a lot of the sentiment, um, especially, you know, the things that I've heard in the past is they say to... You know, put your identity aside and don't bring your full self to work. But I think the world is changing. I think mm-hmm. the world is changing, and I think we we are seeing that here in 2020, obviously because of the pandemic and the fact that we can no longer uh, separate ourselves and our personal lives from work. I think, and I think it's more important that more than now, more than ever, to try and integrate. Our personal selves, the things that we go through in, in our self identities um, to ensure that we can integrate those aspects in fueling our career.
0: And let's also remember that when they say leave your personal, your identity at the door, what they really mean is assimilate to white cis male culture. I'm not saying that they don't, you know, compartmentalize or separate anything out, but I, haven't really seen a white cis male in a workplace that, you know, to the best of my my knowledge, wasn't kind of living to their cultural norms. Whereas I had learned their cultural norms and was performing them, but then I left the office and the way that I spoke changed. and the way that I stood changed and the way that I dressed changed. Um, so let's, let's be clear what they mean when they say, leave your, leave your identity at the door.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, we can start with examples of how even unconsciously we do go ahead and leave our identities at the door. I think first huge thing is I think you and I both agree that even something like code switching is you leaving your identity at the door. (laughs) And we all know, and it's been talked about and, and studied across the board, but code switching is not just changing the way you talk in order to assimilate yourself and to fit in into your work culture. I think code switching speaks so much more to just how oppressed certain groups are especially in the workplace and it's just not a matter of oh it's just a language thing it's just how we speak it goes beyond that and i think first and foremost the people who are code switching are the people who are marginalized and oppressed not only inside the workplace but outside as well
0: oh yeah for sure code switching and culture. And it's so much more than just the vocabulary that you use or the accent that you use. It's about the dynamics. It's about the social norms and having such a clear understanding of two like vastly different social dynamics and being able to switch it to the point where, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I don't even notice sometimes anymore because my brain just does it. My brain is just like, this is what needs to be done. So this is how we shall do. And then I like catch myself in it and it feels icky. (laughs) It doesn't feel good when I kind of hear something back real quick. And I'm like, oh gosh, who is that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I completely agree. There's this one time uh, where every time I go into the box, like I hate bathrooms where it's not single stall and you are you know going to the bathroom and you possibly see your coworkers coming in and out of the bathroom the thing is you don't know who you're running into and so I remember that in one of the offices I used to work at I would go into the bathroom and I would see like a VP or I would see a director and all of a sudden my my voice would go up five octaves like I'd be like oh my god hi you And, like, every single time I would do that. Like, every time.
0: It's been wild being in, like, quarantine and working from home because I'm at home where I'm not code switching, and then my phone will ring. And so I'm talking to my roommate or whatever it may be, and I'm like, blah, 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 And then I, like, mid-sentence pick up the phone. Hello, this is Niara. How can I help you? Why? You... I am a nice person, a polite person, a smart person, regardless of what octave I'm using. So why do I feel like to be taken seriously, to be good customer service, I have to throw my voice like up to the top of the Empire State Building? And don't even get me started on the men that just like assume that an office is all men. Or I've gotten emails where they're just like, hello, gentlemen. And I'm like, um hey wow email identifying Mm-hmm. yeah anywho so I guess in all of that and in catching ourselves in these code switches um which at least for me I do find happening not less but to a lesser extent so like not less frequently but when it does happen to a lesser extent how have we rooted more in our sense of selves how have we kind of gotten over that message or at least attempted to because let's be honest I have not completely unlearned a lot of stuff but like how have we gotten over this hurdle of being taught for you know decades honestly that we are supposed to be a certain way and to succeed you have to fulfill these expectations that are set on people that are nothing like you or are set with situations in mind that you were never going to have. Right. Do you have any starting thoughts or should I dive in on my ramble?
1: (laughs) I think that, um, you know, before we, you know, kind of, you know, jump into how we can, you know, the steps that we can take to make sure we are keeping our identities in mind is also point out that code switching plays into other facets of the business, right? So Mm -hmm. switching means that you are pretty much making yourself fit to the needs of not only your male white counterparts, but you're educated, resourceful, male, white counterparts, right? So in addition to code switching, I think, with the language needs and the language expect expectations that are in the workplace, such as, you know, the way that we speak English, the way that we have our grammar, that Mm -hmm. all speaks to, okay, you know, did we have access to the educational resources, right? Did we grow up in areas where we we're able to develop our language skills. Maybe we were from another country. And I think all of those um, are definitely um, identified, but just not in a direct manner in the workplace, right? And so you see people not even acknowledging to even try and pronounce somebody's name correctly, but at the same time, they expect them to speak perfect English. When oh, a- yeah when the, when the when the responsibilities of a job actually don't really require them to speak perfect like why right because it makes the white counterpart uncomfortable mm-hmm. you know i think other things as speaking to our educational backgrounds you know why do we glorify mbas or why do we glorify people with you know masters degrees when those are specific to people who have the resources to be able to get those higher degrees of education. And so I think that while something as small as code switching can be um, talked about in a just micro manner, there's so many macro components to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as we head into some of the um, steps that we can take, I think that it's very important and Niar and I are making it clear that leave your identity at the door is no longer applicable because we should feel that there is no need at all. Our identities should be brought to work and it should actually be an asset to the company.
0: Yeah, and it is because everyone has a different experience and a different point of view and bringing more of those is only gonna give you more ideas. Um, Ooh, oh, I got it back. (laughs) companies are so culture focused these days. If you want to be a really big like place that people want to work, for the most part, you have to have good company culture. That means that you need to, for authentic culture to happen, people need to be coming to the table with their authentic selves, not a like plastic replica of whatever you say that you're, you want your culture, or you say that your culture is. I think that and this sounds so ob- obvious, probably, but I think the first step in rooting in your self-identity and and being able to to keep it when you walk through those those like office doors is figuring out what your identity is and what like what are the the huge things for you. So f- for myself, I really pride myself on being an empathetic person. I really pride myself on being invested in other people's success and, and, you know, establishing that reciprocation. And, you know, I pride myself on being intelligent, on being a pro like being able to critically think through situations and then sprinkle some uh, (laughs) creativity in there. And like, obviously, those are just a few things. And I'm so much more than that. But, you know, if I can't, name my identity, if I can't name what's important to me and I want that I want to make sure no one is stripping away from me or making me believe does not exist, I need to have them concretely figure it out for myself. And also, just for anyone that's job searching, it's a huge help in your interviewing process because really having a concrete sense of who you are and what your weaknesses are and what your strengths are and what you're bringing to the table and why you're interested in different things is going to really help you with a lot of their questions because, yeah, they want to make sure you're competent, but they want to get to know you as well. So I think, I think that's, that's number one.
1: Yeah, I think that's number one uh, as well. I think, you know, as you said, as a first step, we should first identify, you know, what does create our sense of self and our identity. I think for me, um, you know, and, and you're really hitting uh the nail on the head there with the hammer but i as i was job searching i really identified what my non-negotiables were in terms of my second self and the first thing for me was empathy um the second thing was impact i think i you know really value being able to have an impact to the company in a direct may me- in a direct way and i think the third one was worth i think that Mm. for me feeling a sense of worth at work is incredibly important as i was thinking about those three components that make up the first step in identifying what what components make up your sense of self i think then you know going into the second step realizing and identifying how your components of your sense of self has been impacted by your personal experiences. And so the reasons why I feel like I have empathy, I want to have an impact and I feel like I want to feel worth in a company. A lot of it has to do with my upbringing, right? I think going to not a highly valued institution, I didn't go to your Harvard's or your NYU's or your
0: Yale.
1: Yale's. <laughs> um, but I did feel like I wanted to achieve more. And I think mm-hmm. the fact that my education um, was not as valued as some other educations, I think that helped me feel me in making sure that I still excel in my career. So that actually helped me. I think yeah. the fact that I am a uh, daughter of immigrants really helped me see that I can really have an impact because of the opportunities that were given to me in the workplace. And so I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, my background and my upbringing has really helped me identify those key themes in, you know, my sense of self, I think another huge thing. um, And one thing that, you know, I highly disagree with in the workplace still, Part of it, because it's still run predominantly by white males, is that there's a there's a sense that, you know, you have to be extroverted and you have to be like, um, in order to succeed. And for me, me being a huge introvert and me being honestly like the quietest person in the room, I, you know, found that as a challenge, but I realized that that is actually something that led me to realize that empathy is, is what I lead with. And I realized that empathy has actually helped me fuel my career. And me yeah. being an introvert and me being a listener has helped me actually grow in my career. I think my fellow HR people in in um our listening pod um can can attest to, but I think the first, you know, number one rule of leadership and number one rule of leadership in people is you have to listen. And mm-hmm. who are the best listeners? You know, it's it's women it's (laughs) it's women it's it's women of color um and it's it's because that's all we've
0: been expected to do
1: and i think like you know again when you when you make those realizations how can you not bring your identity through the door and how can you leave your identity at the door um and so i think you know that is point number two i look back and start piecing together how your, you know, experiences and your upbringing and your personal self um, attribute to those three um, or those couple of factors that you help contribute to your components of, of your identity in the first step.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that it's it can be really easy, especially when you're first entering the workforce And if you don't have people that are conscious enough of it to enter the workforce and only feel like your identity is your differences and, and your differences from a white cis male specifically. So like, ah, I am, I am a woman in the room and like, there's whether we realize it or not, there's so much that we've internalized about what that means, regardless of whether or not it applies to us. And Ah, okay. I am the darkest person in this room, and there's so much about what I've internalized about what that means, or so much about what someone else might have internalized about what that means, and and ha- and hasn't even like processed that back to combat those biases. But yeah, wa- you know, walking into a new space and it being so easy to fall into that mindset and that like that that's what we've been taught it's not like your fault that's what we've been taught it makes it that much more important to really understand yourself and set for yourself okay what who who am I as a person not what attributes have has society assigned to me yeah it just without having that concrete understanding, it's, you, you, it's really easy for all those other attributes, everyone, everyone else's opinions to wash those away and suddenly you wake up and you're like, who am I? Right. But I like what you said about really connecting it back to your experiences because, you know, we aren't only who we are in this very moment. We're a culmination of Billions of past versions of ourselves. Wow, I sound like such a hippie. (laughs) But legitimately, like, you know, we're always growing, we're always changing. And how are you? That's a lot of versions. That's a lot of person to just forget about. I, yeah, I'm going to say it. I I personally have taken the stance (laughs) of being very vocal. Like, (laughs) once I have identified who I am and what's important to me and who I want to show up as, making sure that not only am I showing that in my work ethic and you know how I treat other people, but making sure that I'm taking serious advantage of, you know, the times when when companies ask, Do you have any feedback for us? Like what what are your thoughts? And blah blah blah. And it's so goddamn scary to do that. Like it's Petrifying to stand up for yourself is what it comes down to, and I think that, or I hope that, acknowledging that is at least helpful because I, at least for myself, like there was a while where I didn't even realize that I wasn't speaking up for myself, I didn't even realize that I wasn't asking for what I deserved because. It didn't even occur. Like I was so afraid of it that I didn't even consider it, and so I didn't even think about it to then realize I was afraid of it. I don't know if that made sense, but we're gonna hope. But I guess that's I don't know, number
1: three. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I I think you um are definitely uh, man. Where today? I think you're definitely. I feel a, you. Are. I think you're definitely alluding to our our last point, um, which is, and I think it's the most important, is we have to start being vocal. I think that for, you know, and I have definitely had my fair share, um, like you are of instances where I would hear something, and I knew I would know it's off, and yet I would just brush it under the table, right? I think just like even you know, being uncomfortable with the fact that I would be sitting in meetings and all you know, sitting in rooms where people falsely identify, you know, me as, you know, being of Chinese descent, at me actually being Korean, like, and I actually, you know, I wouldn't correct them, right? And, and I think because there is this elephant in the room or this, you know, this presence in the room where we just choose to be quiet. Um, and I think that it's going to take more of us to actually say, Hey, I know that your intentions were bad, but here's why that is actually, you know, offensive and why that, you know, why identifying me in my correct ethnic background matters. And, and just having those conversations, I think those little conversations can then start to change the nature of how important us being mindful of our own identities can matter. I think, um, you know, even um, how, you know, us talking about, you know, the way that we identify, even, you know, in terms of gender, in terms of sexual identity. Um, I think I was, you know, in a meeting with a coworker at, at, at work today and, you know, we were bringing up the concepts of gender neutral bathrooms. And why something that small is actually so important to the world right now. And I think, you know, speaking to gender neutral bathrooms, it's not just the fact that, you know, oh, we need we need to just put a plaque on door saying, you know, all genders are welcome. It's actually the fact that some of us and some of our identities have such a privilege that we don't even have to think about getting beat up when we go into the bathroom or we don't have to think about being caught and being seen in a certain way simply by going to the bathroom. A lot of us barely even think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's gonna take allyship and it's gonna take people who are willing to speak up and who have the power to speak up um, to start pushing back and start speaking for our identities and the identities of others.
0: Yeah, I think that a really big theme, lesson, I don't know, we're going to stick with those words. Um, That's coming up and I think little by little people that, like you said, have the privilege of fitting into these molds that are already created and so they're easier to understand. And when I say easier to understand, I mean for the person themselves. Honestly, if you don't understand someone else's identity and it's not hurting you, like their identity isn't being a serial killer, you don't need to understand it. You need to respect it. You need to, or you should be open to learning about it, but you do not need to understand it. But like, you know, being born into some form of an identity that doesn't fit that clean dichotomy is really confusing because then on top of entering the world with all the confusion that there is within those boxes already, you add another layer of trying to figure out what what it means to be outside of this box and where you land outside of this box and like do I put words to it? Do I need to put words to it? I just there's so many there's so many extra layers that go into it, and I think that it's we're starting to slowly, as a country and as a society, understand. That nothing about the human experience is a dichotomy. Mm. And I I just to anyone that is struggling with identity, because I know that, you know, sometimes that can be a reason that it's hard to show up as your authentic self, because you're like, well, who the hell is my authentic self? And it's scary to put yourself out there to explore it. And it and especially in a workplace, like, Trying to find what fits is hard. And so remember for yourself that there there is no such thing as an identity dichotomy. Everything is on a spectrum. And remember for the people that you're supporting, even if you do feel like you fall on one end of the dichotomy or another for any part of identity, like cool sounds nice <laughs> but we're like really try to remember and, and be empathetic to people that that's not the case because the struggle the battle the it, it does it starts with trying to figure it out for yourself and it starts with this journey that can take a lot of different shapes within yourself but then it continues on. Even once you're comfortable in that, because if again, if you don't fit in that into one of the dichotomies, there's a lot of people that still don't like that. And it's important that you remember that because while you might not be one of those people, you have to remember that that's not something that anyone can tell off the bat on site. So, yeah, maybe people are approaching you with a little bit of wariness or they don't tell you something or they ha- like they they do fit themselves into a box and put on a whole facade. You 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 aren't allowed to be offended by that. That I've just made that rule, you aren't allowed to be offended by that because this doesn't have to do with you. Absolutely. You're not the one that's living a life where you have to look over your shoulder like that. So, I don't know where I was going with this point, but embrace yourself.
1: <laughs> that's a, wow, that's a <laughs> that's a great last two words. Embrace yourself. Um, there you have it, folks. Uh, so, you know, the first step is, you know, to recap, identify your non-negotiables, identify the things that create your sense of self, first of all, up until this point in your beautiful, beautiful life. Second is, you know, Think about the experiences and the experiences that you've had that have actually molded uh, your sense of self and your identity. And lastly, once you've identified the first two steps and, and created your story in those first two steps, start being vocal, You know, be vocal. Don't be afraid to speak to those um, experiences and your sense of self only because we need to now start to have more of those conversations as we not only stand up for ourselves, but stand up for others.
0: Yeah. My, I guess, like, closing sentiment or, like, I feel like we do this a lot where we're like, I just want to make sure that this is clear and everyone has heard this. In terms of speaking up for yourself, uh, yes, I completely agree. And it's really important to mention, like, you know, speaking up for yourself in those situations where people are just, like, misidentifying you or not putting in the effort that they would with someone else or, or or just because they don't feel like it of understanding something different from themselves. That is huge. And that's so important for, you know, your own sense of self for the sense of self of those around you. But also just, like, in a professional, like individual sense of like compensation and of take responsibilities and asking for clarity in a and having so much headspace that's taken up by monitoring like microaggressions and you know trying to decipher what you do with a microaggression like is it worth it do I say something hmm, if I say something what should I say bah, 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 bah. you know not only do you, is your brain space taken up by that But then on top of that, you know, there's, there's, we've just been taught, we've been told that you're not meant to ask for more than you were given, that you should be grateful that you have a job. You should be grateful that they even offered you this pay. You should be grateful that blah, 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 blah. And then you end up feeling bad asking for a raise. You end up feeling bad saying, hey, I would like an opportunity for more growth. I feel like I've plateaued. I had to do that this year at my own company and that, and, you know, I felt comfortable with the people that I was talking to about it. And I still was petrified and like squeezing my fist so that I wasn't shaking. So It's a hard thing to do. And it's something that we've been told we're really not supposed to do, but I just wanna make sure that it's like very clear that speaking up for yourself is in, you know, those reviews, in those manager meetings, in those times where they don't want you to define what you're worth. They don't want you to assert what you're worth. Make sure that you do because it, it, it only benefits them if you don't. Okay, that's all.
1: And that will definitely, um, you know, speaking to your worth and making a case for a promotion or a raise um, and reviewing, ca- having constant conversations regarding your co- your compensation is going to be a whole episode on its own <laughs> along the way. but. Absolutely, it does ultimately tie back to your sense of self, determining your worth and being vocal about it.
0: Yeah, so obviously every episode we have, I could talk about for five hours, but uh, I won't bore our audience like that. Deb, do you wanna tell them where they can find us?
1: Yes, I can. You can find us at persistingincolor@gmail.com. we will always love your feedback Um, questions concerns comments just even chiming in and saying hi through an email we would love that we are growing and we can't grow without your uh, input our podcast is for you and we want to make sure that whatever we're talking about it is you know making a uh, positive light in your day Um, you can also find us at persisting underscore in underscore color. Did I say that right?
0: You did. (laughs) I was watching your face get a little confused. I was like,
1: I am. (laughs) That's our Instagram. But again, as Niara mentioned, neither of us are running our social anymore. So um, uh, you can find us on Instagram. And of course, again, a huge shout out to Bianca. We are so grateful for you. Again, we come out with episodes every two weeks and until next time. Thank you so much for listening. We are Devin and Yara and this is Persisting in Color.
0: Da-da-da-da. Good night, folks.